Welcome to Unfolding Words. This is episode number 85, A Whole New World. My name is Antracia Moorings, and welcome to my weekly podcast where I share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. So we are in chapter 8 of the Genesis study, Dust and Divinity. And if you're new to the podcast, you can join us on the study. You can purchase the workbook, Dust and Divinity, on Amazon and jump in at any time. The audio will be available on my website at unfoldingwords.com or here on the podcast. So this week we are looking at Noah and the continuing story of the flood and how he will step out of the ark into a whole new world. A couple of years back, there was an interesting news story that was done that reported that the flood was an actual historical event. In 2012, ABC News did a story on Robert Ballard. He is one of the world's best known underwater archaeologists. And he and his team explored the Black Sea. They went down to the deepest parts of the Black Sea off the coast of Turkey to look for any signs of ancient civilization that could be traced back to the time of Noah. And if you know about famous archaeologists, Ballard is one of them. He has a great track record for finding underwater gems. In 1985, he used an underwater robot that had remote control cameras to discover the, t- the Titanic. And then he decided to go back with more advanced robotic technology to travel farther back in time. So he went on this mission to support any historical evidence that Noah and the Ark may have existed. So according to a theory, the Black Sea was believed to be an isolated freshwater lake that was surrounded by farmland until it was flooded by an enormous wall of water that was rising from the Mediterranean Sea. And the force of that water was 200 times that of the Niagara Falls and it swept away everything in its path. So Ballard and his team went 400 feet below the surface and there they discovered an ancient shoreline. And Ballard was sure that this was proof that there was a catastrophe that happened in the Black Sea. And using carbon dating, he found shells along the shoreline that were believed to be from the time of 5000 BC. And this was the time that experts believed that Noah's flood could have occurred. And he said it was probably a bad day. At some magic moment, it, the flood, broke through and flooded this place violently and a lot of real estate, 150,000 square kilometers of land went under. So you can go up and look, you can go look the story up and read the entirety of it. But I thought it was very interesting that a modern archaeologist found proof that a flood did happen around the time of Noah. So when we look at the story of Noah, I asked you in the Bible study to look up the time references. So in chapter seven, in seven days, Noah went into the ark and then 40 days, the rain came down, 150 days, the water prevailed. And then starting in chapter eight, we get the timeline that for 40 days, the water decreased in seven days, a dove was sent out. And then seven days later, another dove was sent out. So from this timeline, we can see that there are six phases of the flood. This points right back to the beginning of Genesis to the six days of creation. So we're seeing here that this is a parallel of the creation story, making it 
a recreation of the world. And Noah is essentially a new Adam. So notice all the details that mirror the creation story. God made a wind to pass over the earth, just like he did in creation. And this is reminiscent of Genesis 1 and 2, where the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then the waters abated by God's spirit. This is a parallel to our new life in Christ. And then in verse number three, five months after the flood begins, the waters recede, a picture of God's grace again. Remember, we talked about how the five is reminiscent of the grace of God. And then here we see it again. So the ark rested. Scholars say that this is the same date as Jesus's resurrection and the same day that the Israelites passed over the Red Sea. And the fact that the ark rested means that it didn't stop sailing or stop floating, but it was rooted and settled, much like we are in Christ Jesus. So this happens in the seventh month. We know that seven is the divine number of perfection and completion. And modern Mount Ararat, which is where the ark rested, lies on the border between Turkey and Armenia near the center of the ancient world. And it was from this general area that Noah's descendants would spread out over the earth and replenish the earth. So the creation and the recreation parallels are similar. There was a chart in the Bible study that had you fill out so that you could see the parallels there. And it's interesting how chapter eight is the number for new beginnings. Now, we know that the chapters didn't exist when the book was written, but interesting how the chapter corresponds with the new beginning that is happening now. The old world is forgotten. And at this time, Noah probably feels forgotten as well because he didn't know how long he would be in the ark. God gave him no timelines at all. And the Hebrew word uses the word zakar, which means to remember. In English, for us, to remember means to mentally recall an incident or an event that happened. But in the Bible, and especially with reference to God, to remember means that God has commitment to act upon a previous covenant obligation. God's remembering always proves his faithfulness. So it's not that he forgets. His remembering means that he has a purpose in mind, which is his covenant, and he will move to fulfill it. In Genesis chapter nine, verses 15 and 16, it says, I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living creature, every mortal being, so that the waters will never again become a flood to destroy every mortal being. Here we see that God remembers his covenant and then will move to action. And then in the book of Leviticus, we see this word again, Leviticus 26 and 42 And verse 45, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham. I will remember the land, too. I will remember. I will remember them for the covenant I made with their forebears, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt before the eyes of the nations that I might be their God. And then we see this remembrance in the feast, the seven feasts that the children of Israel celebrate. These are the holy days of obligation that happened on Mount Sinai with the covenant. So the Israelites would relive the Exodus experience and they would act out their covenant obligations. For example, the Passover sacrifice and in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they remembered the slaying of the lambs that saved the firstborn of Israel from death the night of the first Passover 
and the eating of the sacrifice that same night. But they didn't just remember, they relived that experience and experienced the same acts of redemption and salvation with the killing of the Passover animals when they ate his flesh in a sacred meal. Now, God acts upon what he first promised Noah in Genesis chapter six, when the word covenant was used for the first time in scripture. Noah has done his part by being obedient and going into the ark and building it and doing all that God called him to do. And now God will fulfill his part of the covenant with Noah. So God showed that he remembered Noah by causing the waters to decrease and to recede. We see this in verses one through three, where it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the wind of the, of the heavens were closed and the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And then one of the first things Noah did was to send a raven out. Finally, we see some action happening with regard to life outside of the ark. Birds are sent out as spies to survey the land for Noah. And let's see what kind of report they bring back. So in verse number seven, the raven was sent out and he probably found some meat to eat or some floating carcasses of sort of some sort, but no place to land. Thus, there was the to and fro that we see with the raven. So if you know anything about ravens, ravens can smell carcasses a far way off. And then in verse number eight, he sends out a dove. The dove finds no place to rest and returns to the ark for safety. Now, what we know about doves is they are clean animals and they don't rest on muddy ground. And doves like to eat small herbs and plants. They also like to have a perch nearby to fly to in case of danger they eat seeds. They don't eat fresh meat like ravens. And I love this imagery of Noah pulling the dove into the ark for safety because that's how the dove is designed. He always always needs a, someplace safe to go to. And so Noah pulls him back into safety. And we have that same safety in Jesus Christ through salvation. So the raven, when he seeks food, settles upon any carcass that it sees whereas the dove will only settle on what is dry and clean. So the dove was sent out three times, and the first time the dove returned. The second time the dove returned with an olive leaf. And then the third time the dove is sent out, but he doesn't return, which means that he found some place to land and be safe. Now, olive leaves sprout quickly and are a symbol of fertility, which is a great picture showing that God is replenishing the earth for Noah. And an interesting fact is that olive trees can survive floods. They can even be immersed in salt water and still survive. And the leaves of an olive tree are green year round and grow lower down in the slopes of the mountains of Armenia, which is where the ark rested, in the valleys and on the south side of mountains. And Noah would have known that the waters had receded when he saw that the tops of the trees were visible at this time. But still, Noah waits another seven days. So in verse number 13, we are in the 601st year of Noah's life in the first month. And now is when Noah removes the covering. Remember earlier, he had just opened a window. And still, even though the face of the ground is dry, he waits another month. He has such patience. 
Noah was 600 years old when the flood came, and the flood began on the 17th day of the second month. We see this in Genesis chapter 7. And Noah was 601 when the flood ended on the first day of the first month. We see this in Genesis 8, verse 13. The land was dry on the 27th day of the second month when God told Noah and his family that they could get off of the ark. And Noah and his family were in the ark enduring the flood for one year and 11 days, according to the timeline. So the ancients at this time would have used a 354 day lunar calendar, which is 11 days short of a solar year like we use. All the ancient people used the lunar calendar before the discovery of the more accurate solar calendar. So since Noah and his family were in the ark 11 days beyond the lunar calendar, they were in the ark an entire solar year. And like I mentioned, Noah is such a picture of patience and obedience. I'm sure he was ready to bust out of that ark, but he waited patiently for God. And then God speaks in verses 15 and 16 to leave the ark, and they do so in verses 17 through 19. It says, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your son and your sons and your son's wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Notice the command that was also given to Adam, that is also given to Noah, be fruitful and multiply the earth. This is another picture that this is a recreation of the world. So Noah has been following commands all along to the T, but this time he does something that's prompted by the overflow of his heart. He builds an altar. Once again, establishing the earth as God's temple, not as a house just for himself and his family. The altar is a place of sacrifice, which is where the extra clean animals come in that he brought into the ark. No matter that he only has a few of them, he still offers them up. It's not so much the sacrifice, but it's Noah's obedience to God that is key here. And God was pleased by the smell of the animals burning flesh upon the altar's fire, which will become part of the norm of ritual sacrifice in the covenant that was given to Moses. And this shows God's acceptance of the sacrifice. And in the covenant that's given to Moses on Mount Sinai, the flesh of a whole burnt offering would rise above the altar into the sky in a great white cloud showing that God accepted the life of the animal that was sacrificed, which was symbolically tied to the submission of the life of one or the whole community who offered the animal. And it's the submission and the repentance of God's people that pleases him. Not the smell of the sacrificed animal's burning flesh, but it's the people behind the offering and their heart to sacrifice that God sees pleasing. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now we know God knows everything in from the beginning, and he knows that man's heart will continue to be evil. The flood was not a cure for that. So we know that 
Sin is going to pop up again and sooner than we even think. But God still promises to never flood the earth again. It's a covenant that still stands today. And after repeating his promise to never again destroy the earth with water, God then establishes the seasons. Before the flood, rain was not something that was necessary to sustain the earth. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. There had been that watery area above the earth that had been pierced, and it was like a protective dome that was no longer present now because of the flood. So rain and the seasons will be established to set up the planting and the harvest times for God's people. So if we look back to Genesis chapter six, verse five, it says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then we see similar language in chapter eight, verse 21, where it says, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So God is going to deal with sin differently than he had in the past. When he sees sin rise up and corrupting the earth, he won't wipe it out with a flood. Instead, the pleasing aroma of sacrifices will be what will stay God's hand from issuing destruction on mankind. And I love how Noah offered up a sacrifice in response to God remembering him. It was like he was saying, God, I see that you see me and I want to offer something back to you. And God remembered Noah. And if God remembered Noah, God remembers you too. You can put your name in that verse. Wherever scripture uses the phrase God remembered, it always points to an activity of God on behalf of those that he remembers. God moves to save the animals because of Noah. The result is, is that the wind blows on the earth. And for many of you, you know that the wind throughout all of scripture is a picture and a symbol of the Holy Spirit and how he acts and moves in sovereignty. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 and 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot direct its activity. You can't predict where the wind is going to blow. It is sovereign. God is sovereign and you can't understand it. It's a mystery. God's ways are higher than our ways and we have to submit to him. God remembers you and will move on your behalf. You have to remember this. I need to remember this. And God will send his Holy Spirit to move on your behalf. I pray that that's an encouragement for you today, something for you to hold on during this week. So that's a wrap up of chapter eight. Next week, we're going to move into chapter nine and see what happens in this whole new world that God has created for Noah. Thank you so much for tuning in to Unfolding Words this week. I'll see you here next week. And until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.